can you identify with this pain? Have you, have you felt this pain? And second to that, like how widespread is that pain? Because there's so many times where, you know, you maybe start from a pain point and you end up with something like really cool that you want to build that like maybe tickles some of your technical desire to go and, and figure a problem out. But sometimes that's not that pain making sure that you're always linking back to that core pain point that you're trying to solve. And are you really sure that what you are trying to do is solving that? Or have you kind of shifted maybe your focus to something where it may not be really hitting that mark? My name's Addison Hyam. I'm the head of product and chief architect at Stream Native. This is Code Story the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Addison Hyam is leading the product charge in building the unified messaging and streaming platform. All this and more on Code Story. Addison Hyam is a father of two kids and has been married for 12 years. His family is of the utmost importance to him, and he's been happy to be able to balance his career and personal life along his journey. As he puts it, he's been a nerd since day one, building, fixing, and playing with computers from a young age. The makers of Apache Pulsar, an open-source project, decided to build a cloud-native event streaming platform. Early on in the venture, Addison joined as chief architect, in order to enable enterprises to easily access data as real-time event streams. This is the creation story of Stream Native. Stream Native is the company founded by the original developers of Apache Pulsar. And Apache Pulsar is an open source project that is a real-time unified messaging and streaming platform. And so to break that down a little bit about what we mean by that, a lot of organizations have had traditional workloads where they're doing messaging use cases. Think of like work queues, maybe fanning out data to different services. Um, but in recent years, there's also become more of this need around streaming data, moving large amounts of data between different systems particularly in like the data tier, where maybe a simple use case that a lot of people are familiar with is moving application logs to a centralized place for analysis and whatnot. Traditionally, there's been different technologies. You might have a messaging system like RabbitMQ, ActiveMQ, et cetera, and then a streaming system like maybe Kafka or a cloud solution like Kinesis. And Pulsar really brings both of those capabilities into kind of one, one software solution and also uh, is really intended to kind of be that, that platform, that thing that's reusable across your organization. So it includes features like multi-tenancy built in, geo-replication, fine-grain authorization, those sort of things that really allow for organizations to say, hey, we have problems, any sort of problem with event data, moving that across the organization. Pulsar has really designed that to be that platform to uh, really make that simple for organizations. Once again, we're founded by the original developers, so uh, CJRCO, Mateo, our CTO, they were both out of Yahoo when that was initially called the cloud messaging service at Yahoo was eventually open sourced as Pulsar and then later became a top level Apache software foundation project. So tell me about the MVP when you joined, right? So the, the first product that you jumped in, you built, you were a part of, tell me about that MVP, what sort of tools you used to bring it to life and, and how long it took you to build. So I was still pretty early at Stream Native, so I joined in uh, early 2020. 
The first MVP that, that we worked on there was really, is actually about the time where previous to that, Stream Native had been pretty focused on just being a community-centric company, meaning helping organizations entirely in the open source get started with Pulsar. But obviously, you know, you need, a, you need to be a commercial entity at some point. And so the first product that I uh, helped work on was our early iterations of our Stream Native cloud. And so in the early days, that was, you know, very pretty simple. It was taking a lot of the open source tools, as well as some of our own kind of automation and tooling to deploy a Pulsar cluster into a customer's cloud infrastructure. So that used things like Helm, Kubernetes, obviously the open source Pulsar, as well as additional scripts and some uh, pretty simple UI that was done using a Java backend and a view front end. And so that was really kind of the early MVP of the product that we were able to you know, validate and see that customers were really interested in Pulsar both from the open source perspective as well as a managed service to help make that simple for them to use. I got to ask, why view over React or, or any other um, sort of front end framework? One of the nice things that we've liked about Vue is that it is a little bit more opinionated, you know, a little bit more out of the box kind of complete framework. Obviously, React is like super well known in its flexibility and be able to use across things. Whereas I think we've always appreciated Vue being a bit more of a like opinionated framework in that regard. And we still continue to use Vue as our main kind of front end framework. We do also have stuff we do in React. And for us, it's really it's really less about like one being better than the other. Really, you know, our, our core focus and needs is just around being able to quickly iterate and Vue's been pretty helpful for us there. Okay, so then sticking with that MVP, with any MVP, you got to, you know, make certain decisions and trade-offs about what you're going to build now and what you're going to wait on or, you know, what sort of technical debt you're going to accept, things like that. Walk me through some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with them. MVPs are always you're you're going to learn and you're you're going to be four times smarter at at the outcome and said like, "Man, how did we how did we make some of these kind of boneheaded decisions in, in, in retrospect, right? But uh, I guess that's kind of the point, right? You're really using this mechanism for learning. So one of the big trade-offs is, is our application is a stateful application, right? We actually have you know messages state being stored in the system is always like, okay, we'll have to do things like a migration later on. You know, that's going to be a real challenge and uh, something we have to spend a lot of time on. So at the same time, while we had to be moved pretty quick, we also wanted to be pretty certain about certain things. And one of those was like our bet on Kubernetes. So from kind of very early outset of the company, actually the name Stream Native, part of that Stream Native is kind of that reference to the cloud native uh, architectures. And we really uh, see Kubernetes being that uh, kind of fundamental piece. So that was always you know part of the core way we were going to do things, but there's a lot of different ways to do that. To give some examples of where we knew it wasn't necessarily ideal is some of the monitoring alerting side, where we actually, rather than having like a big centralized cluster for where we're pulling all of our different customers back, we had smaller different Prometheuses and Grafanas kind of running in each cluster. You know, that pretty quickly became sort of a challenge where it's like, oh, if there's an alert and something goes off and someone needs to go spawn to an issue, uh, to kind of get at those metrics, having to go and log into that customer's cluster, get access to their Grafana, because sometimes, you know, that wasn't publicly accessible, could be quite a challenge um, when you're trying to go and solve an issue incidents. So that was one of those things that pretty quickly we realized, hey, that, that aspect isn't going to work and moved that um, centrally. Beyond that, you know, a lot of the ways in which, you know, we've evolved the, through the MVP and now into our more modern streaming of cloud, not a huge amount has really changed in, in like drastically pivoting it, just rather continuing to kind of chip away at what do we need to automate? What's sort of the, the core concerns within 
this component of what we call like our data plane versus some of the aspects that we call our control plane, which allows for some of the users to self-service deploy. A lot of that has um, obviously evolved a ton over time. Well, that's actually a good segue into my next question then. So, you know, from that point, how did you progress and mature the product? And, you know, I'm, I'm curious how you built your roadmap and decided how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Stream Native. You know, one of the things that's really interesting about building very high level, what, what we would say is cloud core infrastructure managed services, right? Organizations are depending upon our product as part of their core infrastructure, building really their applications on top of that. Much in the same way that you know organizations depend on AWS cloud and other cloud vendors to provide these you know very robust, high-level managed services, you know, that's what we're trying to build, and that's no small feat. And so in a lot of ways, a lot of the roadmap is very apparent out of what we're trying to build. Um, it's a many-year, multi-year effort to kind of truly build robust, highly scalable managed services. So a lot of that has been on the roadmap from kind of day one. And, you know, some of those things like auto scaling is something that we're still still working on and kind of have a beta of. But we knew a year ago that auto scaling was going to be something that we really required. Definitely the way we prioritize that, a way that we think of what's the most important customers are going to have a big input on that. We've worked a lot with those early customers and a lot with actually the open source community to kind of say, okay, what are those things that are most important for us to support one quarter in as opposed to one year in. But there's a lot of things that just are kind of now the expectations of managed services, like auto scaling, programmatic provisioning, or not only just like a UI, but also API driven provisioning, things like SSO for being able to, to have, uh, from a security perspective, organizations not have to worry about user management and other system. A lot of that is just kind of table stakes and uh, and the real kind of difficulty of building a product like this is it's kind of managing the fact that it takes a while to build in all those table stake features. That's definitely, you know, where we've continued to really rely on our customers and also our insights of, you know, having used these products a lot for years ourselves to prioritize where we've seen the most, the most important things to, to add when. Let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? Certainly with a product like ours, you know, it's complex, right? It's a it's a distributed system, just a pulse, Apache Pulsar by itself, a distributed system, highly scalable, requires real knowledge of distributed systems and the sort of design constraints that exist within within there, right? Obviously, you're not going to find somebody who you're not going to be able to find team members who are experts in distributed systems and real-time message streaming and Kubernetes and infrastructure. That's a very hard job title to have like one person that can do everything. And that was very clear early on in the early days. So we've really looked for kind of experts in different domains. You know, people who are experts on the Kubernetes side know the operator frameworks within uh, the Kubernetes community really well and, and try to build a team that can have a strong ownership around that teams that are experts in cloud infrastructure and the automation, as well as, you know, obviously hiring really hard on the experts out of the Pulsar community who really know the software. Building all those individual teams has also meant, though, building a, a more of the those members of the team who can start cross some of those bridges. And uh, I think that really means looking for people that very technically talented, but also very collaborative. Given the nature of just what we're trying to solve, you know, with, where no one person can know all of the things, having engineers and engineering leaders, as well as you know, the other leaders in the company that are focused on, on figuring out how to collaborate, how to communicate, 
has been super important for us to you know get right beyond just the collaborative and you know strong engineering minds is really also people that are that are kind of passionate about this space or passionate about you know some of the things right next to our space for example building cloud services is is a very interesting task and especially to talk about kubernetes and finding engineers who are excited about figuring out how to map the problem space we're trying to solve on top of kubernetes and how to use all these cloud native and you know big three cloud vendor technologies Finding people that are passionate of that has been super important. Or, you know, could be in something else they're passionate about, maybe specifically real-time data and how it is real-time data transforming the way organizations build and run software. And so I think finding kind of that trifecta of different things, right? The the technical know-how, the collaborative ability work and team aspect, and the real passion for what they're doing and their craft has for us been kind of that winning combination. In a lot of what you said about team, you're mentioning, you know, scalable technology. So I have an idea of where you're going to go in this question, but I'm going to ask it like I didn't hear any of that. So <laughs> did did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you grow and gain traction? Certainly, um, our underlying software, Apache Pulsar, is really designed for scale, right? Being able to handle millions of messages a second. But when we talk about like building the system sort of around that, right, like our cloud, uh, you know, certainly there's still other aspects of of, of scalability on the management side, on the sales side, on what are the tools you need for customer success and support to be effective. You know, I don't think you can out of the gate as a company ever think too that you'll be able to like handle all the different ways in which your comp- company's going to need to scale. And so, of course, we've had a built for scale from day one on the Pulsar side and make sure that we can support the customer workloads. But there's always, I think, once again, going to be challenges if you're trying to do that to those all those other organizations you really need to have. And those have all you know, continued to be something where it, it can be a challenge to figure, okay, hey, are we added on you know, X number of new customers, and this means X number of new tickets, and uh, how, do we, how do we make it you know, 20% faster for somebody able to go answer questions or have knowledge or see data about which customers are growing? Those sort of scalability challenges have been top of mind for product, not just as customer product, but also how product needs to serve the needs of all of our kind of internal customers. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? You know, I think there's lots of things on the on the technical side of being able to to see how we've helped the customer solve, you know, different needs. Those customers who didn't know how to do something before, or something was really painful, and you know that like what you've delivered has helped one of your customers succeed in their uh, goals and in, and really in, in you know at the end of the day help make them money, right? That you've been a net positive in their revenue through through your service is super super exciting, and I mean. Something that, especially at our age, a company is super validating to know that organizations are really depending upon you. Um, and so I'd say, I'd say, like for me personally, I, it's always good to kind of keep that in mind, is to sort of see that success we've helped our customers do, and to to know that we are critical in that success. But at the end of the day, you know, is looking at everything. It's really, it, it, yeah, the software is a piece of that, but really, it's it's you've got to have to look at the team and the people that are making that happen. Because if it wasn't for you know the, all the people that we've been able and the, the team we've been able to build so far of you know roughly about a hundred people, hundred and ten people, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to to continue to do that, continue to grow that. So obviously, success of our customers, but but even before that is really the team we've built and the, the team that will continue to help us grow is just one of the things I'm really really proud of. 
Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. The industry moves so fast, the technology moves fast, the needs of your customers are always evolving. We make mistakes every day, and, and really the, the trick, I think, is, is being able to adjust to those and learn from them. But some of the ones that you know I kind of find the most, maybe the most like painful ones are the ones that are the most like, man, there's always this thing of, hey, what we had early in the MVP, what should we have just like, should we evolve or, or should we just like redo with new knowledge? And one of the things I think we, we spent a fair bit of time on was like our, our UI and, you know, from the early days of, of what was there and then trying to evolve that both from a tech debt perspective as well from a, from just a usability and, and sort of walk the core user flows through that. Um, in hindsight, we probably could have done a lot better actually just like starting over, you know, but I think that was one of those things that at the time, you know, you were trying to have that thing of like, no, don't do that. You know, there's so much thing to say, don't, don't throw away what is, what is kind of already there and and evolve it instead. But in this particular circumstance, I think we recognized we had learned so much, both in how it was built and what it needed to do. You know, we did it anyway, right? Like we we, we evolved it, we improved it. But um, some of those things relative to just recognizing, hey, when should we just really just relook at this problem, kind of start from the ground up and, 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 and do it the right way, as opposed to trying to continue to evolve something um, all the time that can be done and that trying to evolve it, uh, you know, can be can be pretty hard on a team at, at our stage and size. So. So what does the future look like for the product and for your team? You know, we're a very community focused company and where we see Apache Pulsar as really probably makes sense to first start there and talking really about Apache Pulsar and really how we are looking to evolve that for uh, whether it be the open source or streaming to customers. And really one of the things we're most excited about with Pulsar is, um, you know, streaming data, real-time data is still a relatively new concept for most organizations. Um, and there's still a lot of learning and figuring out to be done. And we've been really pleased to be able to work with our customers to um, kind of figure out where we think some of those things that we need to evolve it. One of the things we're most excited for is actually um, making it so uh, your real-time data, uh, once it gets offloaded to um, what we call our tiered storage, right? So to be more cost-effective, we've had this concept for a long time of tiering your data onto like S3 and other object storage, but actually making it so that customers are able to directly query data from that object storage so that they can potentially um, have their data represented as a stream, but also have that underlying data still be read in kind of a more batch uh, fashion direct from the underlying object storage is something that we're really excited about of making it super easy for organizations to have a more holistic view of the data, kind of from when it first gets produced being used in the application tier to all the way of when it's maybe being stored years from now for compliance purposes of having one system like Pulsar that helps organizations kind of manage that data as opposed to right now where it's lots of different systems kind of depending on the use case and timeline of, of when that data lives, the data life cycle. And uh, we've, so that's something that we're working on in the next, um, this end of this year and are really excited for and have a lot, a lot of interest from customers. Um, purely once again on the open source side and then more on our uh, commercial offerings with our stream native cloud. Um, one of the things we're really looking forward to is uh, being able to just make it super simple for organizations to, to get started with the cluster basically in one click and add things like auto scaling. So they just don't have to think about a lot of those concerns. You don't have to think about sizing and whatnot, but really just get started with 
okay, I, I, I want a cluster, I want an endpoint, and um, Streaming Cloud will be the um, smart enough to scale and grow with whatever kind of they throw at it. Um, and that's one of those things that we're really uh, excited to be able to bring to our customers to, to raise the level of sophistication that uh, and the things that they don't have to worry about. So let's switch to you, Addison. Who who influences the way that you work? Name a, name a person you look up to and why. Naming one person is is really hard, right? Because um, obviously, uh, my the, the leadership team that I work with, um, CJ, our, our CEO, and Mateo, our CTO, are great. Um, and have been in the industry for a long time, really know the the uh, the streaming space and uh, event space really deeply, and uh, that's great to have that you know depth of knowledge within within our leadership team. And is a big impact on you know someone I am working closely with and looking to to help make sure that we're ahead of the right direction. But really, um, as a product, per, you know, in the product role, is that um, it, it's really the balance of making sure you're hearing all the voices, right? Of, of whether it's um, your large customers who uh, you know have a lot of sway given given the uh, their spend with you and whatnot. But also, you can't you know you can't ignore some of the smaller customers, some of the newer ones that. Uh, maybe represent uh, the needs you're really going to have nine months from now, because oftentimes you know those earlier stage, smaller customers are are a bit ahead, representing the needs of where the industry's headed. You know, 18 months down the line or whatever. And uh, so I, I feel like that's really the one of the key things as um, on the product side of the business is really making sure that you're you're taking that that input and and from everybody and really trying to coalesce that into what's what's really the core problems what's really some of the core uh things that these all everybody's saying the same thing but just from sort of maybe a different vantage point um and for me that's been a really awesome um uh journey to kind of grow in my career but also to be able to have build a great team that is you know part of that process of, of hearing those that feedback and helping to build that into our organization, not just, you know, me doing that, obviously. Well, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different or where would you consider taking a different approach? Kind of understanding what, when you have a very technical product like ours, when you have a very technical uh, consumer base, what's kind of the most important um Artifacts you build for them first is is definitely where I would could redo things like um, you know the need of documentation and really great um, documentation from day one uh, something that I would love to like if I could go back and redo and just nail and get get a lot better the first time around um, really because once again when you have developer communities they want to know they want the data they want the details. They want to be able to uh, dig in and understand, and even if it's even if there's parts of that that um, you know may change, isn't fully fleshed out, and you think like, oh, maybe maybe we'll wait and we'll get this thing a little bit better, and then we'll write the documentation. You kind of have to fight that uh, sort of thinking and really say, no, it has to come first because of who our users are. They will adapt, they will learn, but they want the details right now, um, and I think that's something I would definitely kind of redo and re-emphasize for our team um, if I could go back and do it again. Well, well, last question, Addison. So you're getting on a plane. 
and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I think the, I think the most important thing for me, it's really saying, making sure that like, can you, can you identify with this pain? Have you, have you felt this pain? And second to that, like how widespread is that pain? If they can, if you can really encourage someone to look at it from that perspective, because there's so many times where I think, you know, you maybe start from a pain point and you, you end up with something like really cool that you want to build really interesting, exciting that like maybe tickles some of your technical desire to go and, and figure a problem out. But sometimes that's not that pain. And I think making sure that you're always linking back to like, what is that core pain point that you're trying to solve? And are you, are you really focused on that? Are you really sure that what you are trying to do is, is solving that? Or have you kind of shifted maybe your focus to something where is more exciting than just solving that pain point, but uh, may not be really hitting that mark? And once again, I think that is, that is part of being tied to your, being in, involved with your customers, being involved with the market and really making sure you're, you're really in that space as opposed to not getting distracted by it. some cool tech to go build. Oh, that's great advice. Well, Addison, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of Stream Native. Thank you. Really glad to be here. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite.